0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Always such a joy to worship with you today. We're going to do things a little different. I'm not going to have you stand as I read the Word of God. I'm going to be um, reading here in just a moment. But as it, as we go through the text, you'll see where we're going, what we're doing. But let me say this to you: I was. Worshiping with you just a moment ago and the image that came into my mind, it's been a while since we've been able to have the Lord's Supper together. In fact, as, as Baptists, we often have the little bitty crackers and the little thimble full of juice. That's how we see the Lord's Supper. But a few times in my life, we've actually had like bread, unleavened bread, big pieces of it. And one of the most beautiful elements of the Lord's Supper is at the beginning of it all, the bread is broken. Now, I'm going to say this, if you take a cracker-like substance and you break it, you can have a hundred pieces that look exactly the same, but every time you break it, it will break in a different place. The, the, The jagged edge will not be exactly the same in every piece. Every single bit of brokenness will be different. Now, you need to realize that Jesus came and was broken once for all of our brokenness. That's the beautiful picture of the bread when we take the Lord's Supper together is that he was broken for us. Now let's bring this analogy home to our hearts. To be human is to be broken. And not one of us in this room are going to have the same sort of fractures in our lives. But we are all very broken, uniquely fractured souls, But the one who was broken for our sins has come to provide healing for us. Today, we're going to look at different kinds of brokenness. In fact, two different kinds of brokenness. But in each instance, we see our desperate need for the Father's love. In our stories today, one of the the individuals receives grace, but the other receives that grace as well, but rebels. Hear me. Sin will break us all, but you don't have to remain broken. Today, my challenge to you before we even get out of the gate is this. You don't have to remain broken. You don't have to allow sin to continue to dominate your heart and manipulate your life. There is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But today we need to yearn for healing. We need to make sure that what is broken in us doesn't kill us. On the one hand, we have Mephibosheth. We're going to look at him and here in 2 Samuel 4.4, let me read one verse that summarizes this man whose name means shameful thing. His name is even sad. Verse four, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Now let me read to you a few verses of another story about another man named Absalom. His name translates into Father is Peace or Father's Peace. He was the third son of David and a favored son at that. He had every advantage in life. Notice what it says about him. Now in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of every year he used to cut it, when it was heavy on him, he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head 200 shekels by the king's weight. These two stories, when we look at them from the outside, could not be more different. But as we've been going through the story of David, we have seen this theme pop up again and again and again in 1 and 2 Samuel and in 1 and 2 Kings and also 1 and 2 Chronicles. Too often what we do as human beings is we look at the outward appearances and we miss what's most important down deep inside. The beauty of God's word is, is that it doesn't just give us a description of what's going on in history, of what's going on in the world, not just a record of words spoken and actions committed, but the Word of God digs deeper and shows us the heart. Because what we need today is not people who know how to put on appearances. We don't need people who have the look of a Christian, whatever that means. But we need people who are down deep inside, changed by the gospel. Those who understand their broken condition and have found healing in Jesus. We are all broken in different ways. But friends, hear me. The healing that we need is in Jesus. And today I pray that you will experience that. But be careful, a word of warning here, because we often define broken in light of the sins of others. We like to, to, to ignore our brokenness, what our jagged edges happen to be, and it's so much easier because we can see with 2020 vision other people's sins. When we have the ability to see other people's sins, let me tell you what category that puts you in. You are in the category of a Pharisee. Pharisees are the best at diagnosing other people's problems but today in this culture in this country at this time that God has given us we don't need people who are experts at pointing out sin it doesn't take an expert of any kind to point that out it's everywhere but I'll tell you what the real gift is when God's spirit gives you the ability to see your own brokenness That's when revival can take place in your heart and in close proximity to you. God wants to show us the deeper things today about our own brokenness. Not so that we will walk out of here discouraged, but instead so that we will walk out of here healed. The question is, as God reveals these truths to you, will you receive it? Will you receive the message, God has for you, Let's begin by talking about Mephibosheth. He is a shameful thing in the text, an object of pity. And he's always captured my imagination. From the very first time I read this story and, and just understood what his name meant. I mean, when you read a name like Mephibosheth, you say, okay, that has to mean something. That's a whole lot of syllables, whole lot of, a whole lot of letters there in that word, and it just means a shameful thing. It can mean a number of other things, but that's obviously what the text tells us, uh, what really stuck. And, and we can see why he was a shameful thing. Let me tell you a little bit about the story. I mean, if you think about it, he was actually born into a king's family, but he was born at the wrong. Time. When he came into the world, Saul and his dynasty was on the way down. Saul and Jonathan were fighting for their lives, and the reason why is because Saul had embraced his sin. He had not embraced the way of God, and so the Saulide dynasty is in decline. Jonathan knows this. As Saul's son, he has no illusions about his future. He knows that he has to be a good son and support his father, but he knows that the kingdom is doomed. And about this time, Mephibosheth comes into the world. He was a man who would have had a lot of promise, but not after what happened in Jezreel. At five years of age, when things were falling apart, literally a nursemaid is carrying him away from danger, drops him, and causes his feet uh, to be hurt, to be damaged, and now he's lame. Everything about Mephibosheth from the outside is a pitiful, shameful scene. His brokenness is easy to diagnose. He clearly is at a disadvantage physically. But look at the story a little closer, because about 15 years before things fell apart, a promise had been made. If we go back and we look more carefully at the scriptures in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 through 17, if you want to make note of that, 1 Samuel 20, you'll see that in better times, Jonathan and David made a pact. Jonathan, Saul, that Saul, his father, was again going the wrong direction. And so Jonathan asked David to care for his family. When we come back now into 2 Samuel, and we skip forward a little bit to the ninth chapter, and that's where we're going to be focused for just a second here, we see that David, when he gets the kingdom established, one of the first things he remembers is, is he had made a promise to Jonathan. David decides that he is going to be a father to Mephibosheth a man who who has not much going for him at all except for the fact that David had made a promise to his father and so David seeks out Mephibosheth now the story goes he had to ask around he didn't even know if Mephibosheth was alive because in those days if a a king had grandchildren that were outside of the new dynasty those grandchildren were often in grave danger you would find that those individuals were some of the first to to, to go to the gallows to preserve the new kingship and lineage. David, in chapter 9, verse 1 of 2 Samuel, asks, Hey, is there anybody alive? And those politicians would have said, "Uh Uh-oh, I know why he wants to know that. He wants to kill any of Saul's descendants. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but that's, that's the political reality in those days. You think politics is bad today? It was really bad back then in this way. And so people are thinking, oh, is he being political? But those who know the story know it's not about politics. It's about a promise. A man of God has made a promise. His name is David. And he keeps the promise for Jonathan. And Mephibosheth, the shameful thing, receives love from King David. This is not shrewd politics. This is a promise kept David is not like other kings because he believes in the king of kings and lord of lords. He is a covenant keeper. He wants to show kindness. Chapter 9, verse 7. He wants to show kindness to Mephibosheth. Now, as we think about this, it, it just, it's a beautiful picture of love. Mephibosheth cannot do anything for David. He can't be a, a warrior in his army. There's no indication in the text that this was the sharpest knife in the drawer. Okay, so he wasn't going to be a great counselor. He's not going to be anything special except for the recipient of the love of the king. Mephibosheth is shameful and broken, but he has something that is beautiful, and that is he has the love of the king. It's interesting that even though Mephibosheth at this point, it looks like he's he's been given this new lease on life, but the, the, the conflicts in the kingdom continue. Let me tell you one more thing about his story. It's interesting because even though he had been the recipient of David's love, uh, this battle takes place, and we're going to learn a little bit about it. I won't have much time to talk about it, but Absalom rebels against David. So Absalom, who is literally David's son, rebels, and and Mephibosheth gets caught up in this rebellion. In fact, he gets caught up in the rebellion and is uh, accused by this guy by the name of Seba, that, that he has gone with Absalom. And David comes in, and, and you can imagine David as the king, he's like, Mephibosheth, is this is true. I, I've shown you so much love, and now you've betrayed me. And Mephibosheth's like, listen, that, that's not what happened. My, my heart has not strayed from you. And there's this really sad st- uh, part of the story where Mephibosheth hasn't cared for himself. His hands and his fingers aren't well kept. You can tell he's just, he's just again, kind of fallen back into shame. But here's the thing. He was honest with David, and David realizes that, and David restores him. And the, and the story is really beautiful because in chapter uh, 21, verse 7, here we see again, David has every excuse to get rid of a shameful thing, but instead he pours out his love. I'm here to tell you, every single life in this world is messy business. We were talking about how we're all broken differently. And some of us, our broken bits cause more damage than others, but we're all very broken. Life is messy. You know, I am not a great artist, but I love watching great art and many times we 'll watch a great artist start putting lines on a on a canvas, and it makes no sense to us. All we see are random lines, but the artist knows that all those random line, lines have a purpose and a plan in the end, we see a beautiful work of art. Listen, your brokenness, your messiness is real. But when we have the the, the, the great physician at work in our hearts, when we have the divine artist at work in our hearts then Things that are messy now can be made beautiful. I love the story of Mephibosheth because what we begin to see is how the Father's love brings all the messiness, all the brokenness, and brings a beautiful picture of love and salvation. We are broken like Mephibosheth. We have been made into shameful things by our sins, but King Jesus loves us. He is pouring out his love upon us. Let me show you a passage of Scripture here in the book of Romans. If you have your copy of Scripture, you can turn there as we see that by grace we are no longer objects of pity but objects of fatherly pride. Let me show you this. In verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, and, and think right there, think while we were still Mephibosheth, a shameful thing, Christ died for us. In the midst of our shame, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our brokenness, Christ still comes to us and dies for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I love this passage. It's one of the most important passages in all of Scripture because it shows how great the Father's love is for us. We are, right there in the text, I believe, we are broken. We are shameful. We are Mephibosheth. And yet, if we'll open our eyes, we'll see that the love and grace of God surrounds us. This is one sort of brokenness. But now let's look at a man of pride. This man's name is Absalom. Instead of a name that means shameful thing, it means father is peace. And how ironic because it seems like his whole story is one of war and of espionage. This young man had the complete package. On the outside, he looked like he had no brokenness. He had good looks. He was smart. He had everything he needed. But the problem was there was brokenness in his heart. Now, let me just pause for a moment. I'm going to mention something here that's very, very sad. In our culture today, everybody is, is, you know, when we go to the therapist, we have to go way back in our past and we have to find the thing that, that happened bad to us so that we can figure out why we're acting out today. That's kind of how it works with much therapy. Well, I don't want to make light of the fact that Absalom had some very serious brokenness as a young man. He had a sister named Tamar that he loved who was sexually assaulted by uh, one of his half-brothers. So listen to me. When we look at Absalom's story, we see an example, one example of many ways that we can be broken. And so, if you need to have a little bit of sympathy for Absalom, you need to realize that he was—he he witnessed something, and of course, his sister, what she went through. When you read that story, it is heartbreaking to see what she experienced too. And Absalom did not find any healing from this brokenness. Instead, he got bitter. He got very quiet and very bitter and very angry. And it is scary because you see for several chapters, he is keeping quiet until he finds a way to kill his stepbrother. There is deep-seated evil here that develops over time. Absalom looks like Mr. Israel. He looks like he's got it all together. He's got the right kind of hair. He knows the right words to say, but there is murder in his heart. He is the opposite of Mephibosheth in every way, not just in the sense that he is not shameful on the outside, but in the inside, there is something completely wrong and broken. If we had more time, I would have you go there to 2 Samuel 15. And let me just read a little bit of it there in verse 2. You see that Absalom used to rise early. Now, let me just give you a little bit of what's going on here. Because of killing his brother, he was sent into exile. But he finds a way to get back into David's good favor. David loves his son. He, he really wants his son to succeed, and so he brings Absalom back. And so what does Absalom do? Well, he rises early, stands beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. And Absalom, notice this, notice this manipulation. Oh, that I were judge in the land, then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. Whenever a man came to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Sounds like politics to me. Thus Absalom did all, uh, to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. This guy is a cold and calculating murderer. He is a cold and calculating politician. He is stealing the hearts of the men and women of Israel... And he leads a rebellion against his own father. When we look at Mephibosheth, we see that he actually accepted David as a father and accepts the grace and mercy from the king. Whereas Absalom, who is literally the son of David, takes all the grace but doesn't change. What we see in Absalom is a man not only of cool calculations but of deep-seated pride. In fact, it is this pride that makes Absalom more pitiful, more shameful than Mephibosheth. Pride today is just like that in our hearts. Very few people seem to notice it, but if you have it, let me tell you, it is deadly. Today with The uh, advent of of digital photography, we can can sort of give people an image of our lives that is kind of the best. The reason why Facebook is so depressing is because you go on there and everybody's putting their best foot forward. You're getting the very best. So here's the deal. In the Facebook world that we live in, Absalom would be the good looking guy that we make sure that everybody sees in our Facebook profile, but Mephibosheth, we crop him out. We, we, we like to give the image, the outside image, that everything is okay. But the truth is, the shameful things in our hearts are what God sees most. Absalom, because of his pride, even his object of pride, his hair, gets him caught up in a tree, literally the branches of a tree, and he's hanging there suspended between heaven and earth, and he loses his life because of his pride. Pride had taken him up to a high place, and the higher you go, the the further you're going to fall. That's the story of Absalom. Romans 6.23 reminds us of this, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that the pride in your heart is a deadly, deadly thing. And the only hope you have is the free gift of God. We spend far too much time in our world today pointing a finger at the sins of others and we don't take stock of the sins of our own heart. Those who see other people's sins with 2020 vision are the Pharisees. Let me say that again. And we don't want to be the Pharisees. Jesus knew how powerful this dynamic was in our heart. And because it's so powerful, he gave us one of his most powerful parables. The parable of the wise father. If you have your copy of Scripture, let's finish by looking at Luke 15. Because Luke 15 tells us the story of two brothers. Now, again, Mephibosheth was not technically a brother of Absalom, but in many ways, these two individuals become a part of the father's kingdom. They both sit at the father's table. David is their father. And we we remember this story from Luke 15. In the first few verses there in chapter 15, verse 11 and following, we learn that there's a younger brother and an older brother, and the younger brother decides that he no longer wants to have anything to do with the wise father. He makes a very unwise decision and says, Father, give me all that is uh, going to come to me later in life when you're dead. And basically saying, you're just better off dead to me, Dad. I just want your money. He takes it. He goes off to a foreign country. And the King James says he lived in riotous dissipation, which I really don't know what that means, except for he must have been doing some bad stuff, okay? He was doing some bad things. Prodigal living. Sinful living. Sinful living. There he is in the pig pen, which a, a, a good Hebrew person would have saw that as a pretty low place to be. Um, it's in the pig pen. It's at that low point that this person realizes, this younger son realizes, that he needs to go home. And he goes home. And what does he find? Does he find the Pharisaical father saying, you're bad. You've made these outward mistakes. You've made all of these choices. And now you're going to pay for those choices. Is that how the story goes? In the modern st- telling of the story, it probably would. But in this story, the wise father says, welcome home. Let's pick up in verse 24. The wise father says, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Would have been great if the story ended there. But now we see the shameful thing. Now his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back. Now that's big. He received him. The father did not have to receive him. He could have rejected him, but he received him back safe and sound. But the older brother, he was angry and refused to go in. No going to the party for him. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look. These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him, and he, the wise father, said, Son, you, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This story hits close to home because it reminds us all how many times, how easy it is to be the older brother. We, many of us in this room, not all of us, but many of us, if we were to give our testimony, we would talk about a heritage of faith. We would talk about the advantages of being raised in church. We would talk about the advantages of knowing right from wrong. And all of those things are great advantages, but not if you are going to be like Absalom and wear them on the outside and not let those things change you on the inside. The older brother is Absalom. Everyone would have said that he was the responsible one. He was the good boy. He was the one with all of the promise. But the truth is, the older brother, his pride was as dirty and dark and devastating as anything the younger brother did. In the churches in America, we would shun the prodigal son And we would ordain the older brother. Because pride doesn't look as bad as prodigal living. But it is my belief, my firm belief, that pride sends as many people to hell as prodigal living. I was sitting on a pew as a 15-year-old having been raised in church I knew the gospel story, but I'll tell you the words that went through my head. The Lord told me that I was essentially the older brother and that the pride of my heart, my dependence on the home I grew up in and the church I was a member of from the time I was born, I had all of my trust and faith in things that I could, I thought, control. But the Lord had to help me see that my sins of pride made me as dirty a sinner as any sinner I could imagine. And right now, I want you, if you do not know Jesus, I want you to realize that even if you've lived a beautiful, upright life for other people, if your heart has not been touched by the love of the Father, you may think you are Absalom, but you are a shameful thing. And the only answer for those of us who are caught in sin and shame is the beautiful love of Jesus. You are broken. Imagine that bread being broken right now. But by his wounds, you are healed. Do not remain broken one second longer. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.